When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Connor McDavid is the Edmonton Oilers nominee for the Bill Masterson Memorial Trophy. This is voted on by the Edmonton chapter of the Professional Hockey Writers Association. This is the award that honors perseverance, sportsmanship, and dedication to hockey. Every team puts forward a nominee. McDavid a lot younger than the players who were usually put forward for this reward, but you know the story. He suffered that knee injury about 14 months ago, the final game of last season against the Calgary Flames, fought back hard over the summer and has been outstanding through this year as now the Oilers await the start of training camp and eventually the postseason tournament. Phase two of the relaunch in Alberta is going to be Friday. It's going to start Friday. What does that mean for city rec centers, facilities? I'll touch on that a little bit later on. Some news about the border between Canada and the United States. We'll get to that as well. And Nate Bahar is going to join us later on. Former Eskimos receiver, played last year for the Ottawa Red Blacks, and he wrote a very personal, a very emotional, very pointed blog very essay that he uh, pointed essay that he that he wrote online and we'll have nate to touch on that my name is reed wilkins thanks a lot for tuning in you can reach out 780-496-0063 and i'm very pleased to welcome back to the program former coach and goaltender with your edmonton oilers it is the one and only ron Lowe. ron you're on with reed good to talk to you again how are things things are great man i'm sitting out here at the cottage in manitoba socially isolating myself until another eight days so I can go see my mom. Well, hope your mom is doing well. And who would be uh, meaner, the average Manitoba mosquito or your late teammate Dave Semenko? (laughs) Hey, both Manitoba things, yeah. (laughs) I kind of have a feeling Semenko might win that battle. Uh, all right, I, I got to ask you another. Uh, well, we're going to have fun the whole interview. I hope we have the uh, some of the Jack Michaels play-by-play in our intro for the show of the goalie fight from February between Talbot and Smith. While I was playing, I, I thought, oh, I better quickly look up Ron Lowe on HockeyFights.com. They have you down for a bout against Harold Snaps in November of 1984. Does that one ring a bell? Oh, unbelievable. <laughs> Yeah, it was the, actually, I kind of got challenged by him earlier in the period, and it was in Jersey, and in Jersey, the other, the opposing team has to come off the other goaltender's end during the second, between the second and third period, so Snepsy had slashed me, and I called him a few names and said I'd kick the shit out of him, and he, anyway... He uh, says, yeah, okay, I'll give you your chance. And he came right at me at the end of the period. And I guess he was just skating off the ice, but I thought he was coming at me. So I I let him have it with the blocker and pretty much KO'd him. 
jeez. Okay. Well, Harold Steps, uh, I mean, I, I was. I guess I would have been 10 in 1984, so I do remember him playing. I just remember, remember him being a large, and didn't he have like a weird mustache or some kind of goatee or something like that? Yeah, he was a big, real big man, and I don't know, I guess he really wasn't looking to fight. I kind of cold-cocked him because <laughs> he, he, uh, it's kind of a weird story, but yeah, yeah, I did. I actually, I think I might have knocked him out. Oh, jeez. Well, they got it down as a fight, so they must have given Harold something in it. So, <laughs> Well, he had his, uh, uh, later on, I know he had his fingers in the eye holes of my mask. So he wasn't real happy with me. I know that. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad I, I'm glad I uh, I got a memory from that one. That, that's pretty good, Ron. Uh, man, like this is such a crazy time. And from a hockey perspective, we play games. You know, we kind of knew there was a virus and a threat. The NBA shuts down, the NHL NHL shuts down, and we've been playing this this waiting game every ever since. It sounds like we're going to have games. Maybe not still for six, seven, eight weeks. We had Dave Tippett did a conference call on Zoom a couple of weeks ago, and he said he's trying to stay as as ready as possible. Can you imagine as a head coach going through what coaching staffs are going through right now? Like, what do you think of all this? No, I, I couldn't even imagine it. I mean, you you think about the things that you were doing, and all of a sudden it went blank. <laughs> And to me, you've, have, you've lost contact. Obviously, you can have phone calls, but basically you've lost contact with your team, and now you have to start them up again. And I know the coaching staff has done just a tremendous job this year with the players, and I, I know for sure that they're keeping in contact. But contact on a phone is not the same as contact at the rink uh, sitting down and being able to talk to somebody face-to-face, one-on-one. Um, I, I just can't – I no, you're right, Reed. I could, couldn't even imagine what those guys are going through right now. And besides that, not knowing when or maybe even if they are going to start. Well, and I think it still is an if. I, that's a fair point. The NHL is pushing hard. We don't know about the border between Canada and the United States. It sounds like there's going to be an extension, and we don't know if Canada is going to lift the quarantine or allow players in. So there's a lot to worry about. And I I was on a a radio show in Vegas today, and the host there was asking me about training camp and what it's going to be like. And I I, I don't know. I mean, like you'd like to go out there for it to be intense, but you don't want to have a guy tweak something in training camp because the first game back isn't a preseason game. It's basically a playoff game. Yeah, I think that uh, the, I think the training camps are going to be really intense. Uh, that's what I think. And you're right, you don't want to get anybody hurt, but you also don't want to go into that first best of five, if that's what it is, and not be 100% ready to go about as hard as you can go. And, you know, that sounds that sounds goofy in a way, but the hockey players that are on the Edmonton Oilers Hockey Club right now are basically there's a lot of good young hockey players there. And when you're young and uh, you haven't been there before, I guarantee you that it will be an intense training camp. 
Ron Lowe joining us tonight on Inside Sports, former Oilers goaltender, former head coach, as he uh, told you, he's spending some time in, in uh, Manitoba right now. Yeah, and the, like the advantage is everybody should be healthy and rested, but, I mean, the Oilers had a couple of injuries, Mike Green, Joachim Nygaard. Columbus is getting, what, half their team back? Carolina's going to get Dougie Hamilton back? I mean, I think it's an advantage to some of those types of teams. Well, Columbus... Um to me, is probably a dark horse. I mean, they were playing unbelievable without half their team there. And I don't know, maybe the the half of the team is missing, isn't going to play as well as the guys that took their spots. But they, I think they have a real big chance this year. Ron, we wanted to have you on to touch on something else. We're doing something fun on 630Ched.com, globalnews.ca. We have some voting going on for the all-time Oilers All-Stars. And as we both well know, there are some te- some players that are pretty obvious picks to make this team. Uh, you coached the team in an era where, you know, they were often fighting to get into the playoffs or an underdog in a playoff series, though you came up with a couple of big wins. And I want to ask you about a couple of those players one of them being Doug Waite, who was an exceptional player, you know, was a got to be a, up in the top 10 in the league and scoring a couple of times. Uh, I always thought that he, he showed a lot of grit and toughness too, even though you might associate with him with a lot of skill. I, I actually voted for him in my top six Oilers forwards of, of, of all time. Tell me a little bit about Doug's impact on the team and, and his, his leadership at that time. Well... I think that uh, I, I would definitely put him in that top six. I, I would definitely do that. Uh, he played with uh, a team that probably wasn't nearly as talented as the ones that Gretz and Mess and those guys played with. But Dougie Wade put up uh, numbers. He was an American kid in a Canadian city and really – Gave everything he had for for Edmonton. I, I thought he was, uh, first of all, he didn't become captain for a couple of years because Kelly Buckberger was, and he was a very, very, gr- really good captain. But Dougie finally did take over, and he was a team leader. But he also was smart enough to understand that he listened to the other guys in that leadership group. And to me, that was one of the things that Dougie was maybe best at, was getting consensus and then leading after he found out where they wanted to go. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> that is a really good way to put it. I guess you got to know that. you got to read the temperature of your teammates and maybe who, what, who needs a kick in the butt, who needs to be left alone, eh? Well, yeah, and the thing about Dougie was, is, man, he was a talented kid. I mean... He was, he had all kinds of ball. He's probably in the top, uh, top 10 Americans that have ever played the game, if not higher. For goaltenders, Ron, and I, I didn't make this list. They didn't put you as a finalist for one of the two goalie spots. Because uh, <laughs> uh, hey, yeah. of the five-hole read. <laughs> well, hey, you single-handedly dragged the team into the playoffs in 1980, didn't you? we got to remind people of that. That was the highlight of my whole career. 
<laughs> look, I, I, I can't look at the results right now because I already voted yesterday and you can't vote more than once. At least I'll have to go on a different computer and do it. But Fewer is already running away with the number one spot. And then, you know, Cujo and Ranford were in were within half a percentage point of each other for the second goalie spot. And Cujo was so vital to you guys the most famous save in team history. I, I, I don't hesitate to, to say that. Uh, but Billy Ranford, hey, did win a con Smythe. I think you were there. You were back in 1990 as an assistant coach, and, and he, he pulled off an incredible con Smythe run. That's going to be an interesting competition to see who the fans pick between those two guys. Yeah, both, um, well, all three of the aforementioned are really good friends, and I've had lots to do with them uh, even after hockey. Uh, Billy Ranford, I don't think we would have won in 90 if he doesn't uh, have an all-world playoffs. Uh, We weren't expected to be where we were. He kind of didn't play very well his first couple of games against Winnipeg. And then when he caught fire, uh, he, he brought the team along with him. And to me... That's the uh, that's the sign of a of a goaltender that deserves to be in your upper echelons. Now Curtis was a different beast altogether, in the fact that he carried us through the year, and we probably didn't have nearly as much talent on the teams I coached with um, as we did in the '90 games even, and I thought that team was less than. The ones that had won the three mean four cups prior, but Curtis, when Curtis came here, he changed the whole uh, demeanor of a hockey club. We thought we could win again. Where up until the time that he did get here, uh, we were short. We were short on goaltending, and there's no doubt about that. Uh, both both guys are are very deserving. I I would absolutely concur with the fact that Pure is the runaway. Um, he just, he maybe didn't have the best goals against average, but he didn't have to have, but you had to have the big saves from him. And unless we were going to put one in our own net, which uh, killed the playoff run of five in a row, um, I, I think Piercy, yeah, is the runaway. I don't know if you read Curtis Joseph's book that came out a couple of years ago. I, I'm actually currently uh, reading it. I had a copy sitting on the shelf for probably the last year or so. Did you know that when you had him as a teammate that he went through all that as a kid with a very sort of unstable family life and growing up, you know, quite poor and in kind of really tough conditions? Was Did you know any about, anything about that when you had him as a player? We had uh, some conversations. We never got uh, in-depth, but definitely knew uh he went to wilcox for a reason he told me that and uh yeah amazing story because uh the guy is probably the one of the classiest people i've ever met uh pretty much do anything for a friend um give you the shirt off his back and uh hey when he was on his game he was as good as any any goaltender that's ever played the game. What do you remember about the save against Dallas? Did you have a good view of it from the bench? <laughs> uh, 
We've talked about it lots. Uh, that was, uh, I mean, everybody was glad that uh, Todd scored, and believe me, I was too. But I knew where the where I had to go before I went to see Todd. I had to go tell the guy just without that we aren't where we're at right now. He was awesome. Uh, before I let you go, uh, I know you've, you've you've done a lot of stuff in the community in Edmonton. Uh, hockey helps the homeless. Are you are you staying involved? I know it's tough for a lot of charities and organizations right now. But what's what's happening with that part of your life? Yeah, we've we've uh, shut it down obviously with uh, the pandemic and everything that's going on around us. Uh, we're we're still hopeful we can run it late September, maybe October. Uh, tell the people not to forget about us. Uh, we'll be letting everybody know that we're going to be playing in it, and uh, God knows the the homeless need help as much as anybody that's struck in this thing right now. So, yeah, we'll we'll hey, I'll be on your show when we start her up again. Believe me. Right on. I look forward to that. Ron, it is always great to have you on the show. Uh, All the best. Uh, Have a great time with your mom when you get to visit, and we'll talk to you down the road. Really appreciate it. Will do, Reed. Have a good night and stay safe and healthy, eh, bud? Right on. Will do. That is Ron Lowe checking in tonight. Some uh, good memories from him, some good perspective of some past Oilers teams and players, and uh, also some thoughts on what he thinks this upcoming training camp will look like whenever the NHL is able to get back to it. It is Inside Sports on 630 Shed. Quick timeout. One thing we were doing in the first few weeks into the pandemic, we've kind of backed off doing uh, doing it a little bit. I guess we haven't talked about it as much, but you can still do it. If there's a song you'd like to hear coming back from commercial, we'll, we can play it for you. Text in 780-496-0063. Kellen has the text line open back at the studio. I'm at home. Preferably something with a good guitar intro, you know, rocking, please no naughty language near the beginning of the song. Uh, and, and I should also clarify the types of songs we're not looking for. We just had someone request that we play a song by Aqua coming back from break. Uh, Kellen, I do not see us doing that. No. Maybe maybe ironically at some point. was Barbie, Are they the Barbie Girl Band? Yes. That's the only song of theirs I could name. So if you're looking for Aqua, uh, you won't hear it on Inside Sports. Reports that the Canada and the U.S. will extend a ban on non-essential travel to late July, this is not expected to uh, affect uh, possible NHL hub cities. It's the 14-day quarantine that would be more of the issue there. We might hear more about that this week. Nate Bahar, when we get back. Here they come. actually wrote this song about Jim Matheson and Robin Brownlee. <laughs> we got a lot of text requesting songs, so we'll have to save them for later shows. We're going to have to go back to a two-hour show so we can get all the music in. Wouldn't that be nice? All joking aside, a serious topic here with a uh, very thoughtful 
young man, former Edmonton Eskimo, spent last year with the Ottawa Red Blacks, and uh, he has chimed in on the Black Lives Matter movement and some of the unrest we have seen over the last couple of weeks. I'm pleased to welcome back to the show CFL receiver Nate Bahar. Nate, how are you doing? I'm very well. Thank you very much. Well, thanks for coming on the show. It's always great to talk to you. I enjoyed our conversations when you played for the Edmonton Eskimos. Uh, last year, you were with the Ottawa Red Blacks. And lately, you've been getting some attention about a post you put online and through social media. It is called To Pimp a Movement. It's, it's, it's very emotional. I, I think you put a lot of yourself out there. Nate, tell me a little bit about the title of the piece, first of all. Yeah, absolutely. So it, the, the title kind of derives itself from... Kendrick Lamar's 2016 album called uh, To Pimp a Butterfly, his Grammy Award winning album, I should say. It's one of my favorite pieces um, of music and art, to be honest, um, I've ever I've ever ingested. And the, the kind of the central thesis and central, central movement of the, and themes of the articles, that, or sorry, of the essay, he kind of is talking at the end of tracks and sort of interludes and preludes. Um, it seems like a poem, and then by the end of it, you realize that it's actually a... Uh, it's sort of an open open note or question to the late Tupac Shakur um, about how he's using his influence and how his how his experience as a black man, especially now that he's found success and kind of left the hood or left the people that he grew up with, um, if he's doing all the right things to kind of bring people along with him or whether he has all the answers and whatnot. And it was it kind of resonated not in the way not in the sense that I'm some multimillionaire like Kendrick Lamar by <laughs> by absolutely any stretch, but. Just as a, as a black man, especially one raised by a, a Jamaican father who grew up in South Florida, who now lives now myself, I live in I live in Canada, and in a lot of ways, especially even as a as a lighter toned um, black man, because of my because of my mother being Middle Eastern, um, I don't think I have all the answers, and I don't I'm not always sure that I'm doing the right things for my community because I do identify so heavily with with my black heritage that I just kind of wanted to write something and put something out there, but you never really know exactly what you're supposed to say or how you're supposed to say it, so I just eventually got to the point where. I just put out things as raw and personal as I could, and 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 kind of let it let it breathe itself to life as I as I plucked away the keyboard. Yeah. So I mean, you mentioned obviously your your uh, your family background and and you being Canadian, and you play a sport with a large number of, of people on the roster. I mean, if you factor in coaches and trainers, there's, you know, 70, 80 people at a time around a football team. It's, it's a pretty uh, extensive mix of black, black and white generally in football. Has, has every locker room you've been in been pretty comfortable? Are there, are there times, you know, it hasn't been inclusive. How do, how do you sort of sum up your football experience? Yeah. I mean, football, football's interesting. So I guess as a, like as a kid in London, um, most of them are just predominantly white, just because that's just the demographics of London. Um, but as you as you soldier on and push through, like there's definitely like in in universities especially, like uh, it was it's very diverse. I would say almost even. I think Carlton was probably around 50-50. I'd have to look at a roster. I don't want to speak at a off the cuff there to to confirm that. But it's it is inclusive in the sense that you know you need everybody. Uh, but there's always differences. Even today, I mean, the let's, if we use a common or sorry, not a common a. Uh, a current reference like Drew Brees, who is a, the lead quarterback or like a, a star quarterback franchise player for the New Orleans Saints for over a decade, and he has some some comments that were less than they were a little misguided uh, to say the least. Um, and you see that divisiveness, how fast they can rush rush through a locker room. So I think it's I've been seeing a lot of people talk about how football is so inclusive and everyone's working towards a goal, but I think that's very much um, a optimistic and almost misguided and too too flowery way to look at it it's not that everybody agrees or even that everybody's on the same page in terms of who deserves rights and who's and where everybody stands in society but when you all have a common goal to work towards it's just an easy thing 
to shut up and turn off in your brain for a little while. You just people know what they should and shouldn't say in football. Like people that have certain beliefs aren't going to say them out loud because they just know that that's going to cause issues, and that's a good thing. But it's also a bad thing because then people can hide behind their hide behind their little curtain and sort of continue to exist and, and believe things that they want. So it's tough. It's I, I, I get your question, but it's a little tough one to talk to talk about. Yeah. Look, we've we've all seen the the video of of uh, George Floyd and then the resulting um, protests around the world. Unfortunately, some of them, uh, you know, turn violent with destruction of property and other things. Uh, primarily in the United in the United States, when you when you see that, mm-hmm. how does it make you feel? Because obviously, that the George Floyd's death is something to be angry about. We don't want to go out and smash up our communities, though. So, like, what's what's an appropriate way in your mind to express what a lot of people are feeling right now? Um, yeah, I mean, it's that's that's an interesting one. I I don't think that anybody has ever done anything of value in this realm of human rights, civil rights, um, women's women's movements, women's rights movements, gay gay rights movements, anything Arab Spring, even like. Nothing of value and consequence has ever been done by just sitting around and doing what the people in charge tell you to do, and which right now is them saying, please be calm, you know, hold up a sign, but do do nothing more. Um, and then even when they do that, you see, like at the White House, they still get tear gassed, as the president's talking about never never going at people who are peaceful. So I, I will never tell people who are oppressed for hundreds and hundreds of years how they should, um, how they should react. If things get broken, honestly, I mean, that's... It seems inconsequential to me in, in in respect to the fact that people are very literally dying at the hands of a system. So I, I get that it's very easy to condemn and for good and for, for reasons, for common sense reasons that like why would you destroy things from the people that you love and have to live beside and all these sort of things. Um, but in a lot of these cases, destruction of property is just a distraction from the real issue. The real issue is that people are disproportionately murdered if they look a certain way by the people who are supposed to be sworn to protect them. Um, so to me, the whole, as they quote unquote say looting, and that's a whole other conversation we can get into if you'd like and rioting, it's really just a, it's just a distracting, distract, distract, or sorry, distractor from the fact that this is what the state is doing. And the real looting is the state pillaging people of their lives, pillaging people of their wealth, um, restricting access to, to resources and things that to actually help people move forward in their, in their lives and, and step up their, their socioeconomic class and where they belong in the, in the socioeconomic caste. Um, so it's tough. Like I get that it's an easy thing to, to hold on to, but I do think it's slightly, um, it's, it's slightly a deter deterrent from the real conversation to be had. And I think it's intended to be that by a lot of people. Um, and it's, because it's so visceral, such a obviously um, abject sight to see, see people throwing bricks or lighting on fire, corporations, but you can't be violent against property. Violence is what is enacted between humans, um, and the violence is actually being perpetrated by police in almost every single situation, unless you want to call a ball of Dasani hitting somebody wearing $10,000 of protective gear um, violence. But I would I would usually kind of lean to the fact that it's a person driving by an SUV spraying pepper spray and tear gas out of the car or window at a bunch of people standing there quietly. So it's I get the idea about what what is wrong with rioting, but there's no way of protesting as we've seen that anybody in power ever accepts. Whether you're on a knee during the anthem or you stand quietly, I mean Martin Luther King was very literally shot because he pro- because of how he protested, and that was as peaceful as you could possibly imagine. So well, no matter how you do it, people are going to have an issue with it. So I've just given up even bothering to to sort of have that have that be the the focus 
CFL receiver Nate Pahar joining us on Inside Sports, former member of the Edmonton uh, Eskimos. He's uh, written a very emotional essay to pimp a movement. Uh, you can find it on his Twitter account. I've tweeted it out as well. So maybe a tough one here, Nate, but mm-hmm. I don't know, 10 years from now, what, what do you hope, how, how do you hope attitudes have, have changed? What, what What's the next step towards black lives mattering more i guess i'll kind mm-hmm. of borrow that phrase if you don't mind me putting it that way no absolutely it's that's perfect it's perfectly eloquent there um i think the main thing there's kind of there's kind of two things i'll touch on i guess to, to go with that um one of them is very internal and it's kind of hard though it'll be a very hard thing to have a quality qualitative measure to or an epistemological measure to is and that's the idea and this is one that needs to be heard in its entirety taking out of context will cause people to i'm sure attack me on twitter which i'm which i'm aware of and comfortable with but the idea that like whiteness exists and i say that not in the sense that white people don't exist or white people don't have value or anything like that it's very literally just whiteness as umbrella term like there are people of irish descent there are people of scottish descent there are protestants there are anglicans there are all these beautiful things there are italians there are people from the north of spain there are people from the east of all these places those are all cultures. Those are all places. Those are all things that completely exist and have beautiful and historic and gorgeous culture that the world over is happy to exist. But whiteness, as an umbrella term, was very literally created for malicious intent. It was created to give rights, humanity, property, and the rule of law to a certain set of people in respect to the fact that they were not black, Asian, uh, Jewish, all these different, all these different things, and, and in the past. So I think that that's one of those things that needs to happen, sort of on our, on our, I'm going to say, quote unquote, allies side of things, is being able to s- stop saying like, oh, you know, I'm just a white guy, or because like, that's not a, that's not a thing, you know, like, and again, and I'm going to reiterate it again, just because I, I know how, how sort of divisive the conversation sounds. That's not to say don't be incredibly proud of being, of. Irish descent or Scottish descent or of any of these, like those are all, again, beautiful cultures with an incredibly rich history that all deserve to be celebrated and lived. But whiteness is only, was only formed for policy and power. And I do believe that honestly that needs to be stripped away before people can be empathetic and fully understand each other's um, where we stand. And then from, and after that, it's just, I think I said it a little earlier today, it's a marathon of a sprint. If, um, if correcting, the injustices and, and prejudice of the last 500 years was was a sprint. I think the last two weeks of social media would have done it. <laughs> we would have, with how, with how motivated and into it and into it everybody has been over the last two weeks, like, if it was doable as a sprint, it would have been done already. We would have broke Usain Bolt's 100-meter dash record, and we would be living in a post-racist utopia on Mars or something. But it sadly will be a, will be a, um, a marathon, and with that comes the very real fear and very real tough task of dealing with the the fatigue that comes with that um fighting for what's right constantly and you know telling your loved ones that they shouldn't say xyz and then hearing all these negative things and living in this world where like you're constantly being bombasted and hit over the head with all this bad all these sad things and sad truths it gets exhausting and it's really it truly is the experience of of black people in, in society um of of aboriginal people in society and all these things um and for a lot of people, they, they have the ability to switch it off because they don't look a certain way. And what, if they decide to stop fighting, their lives will be changed. But we, we need people that are willing to stay with us for the long haul and keep this thing going for the long haul because it really will be 
a world that we've all talked about wanting, which is a world of equal justice and a world of equal rights. Nate, thanks for being so well-spoken on this. I, I think it's really important to, to hear your perspective. So thank you for that. And uh, I, I know we brought you on to talk about your essay. I do have to ask you about football since I have you on the line. Uh, <laughs> you're a free agent. Uh, I, I So I, are you kind of stuck in a place here? A lot of questions about your future and the future of the league itself, or, or how can you sum up that for your fans? Uh, yeah, I mean, the big thing as a, I mean, as everybody is a human, but especially I've, I've tried trying to master it as an athlete. It's just control what you control. So I'm staying in shape. I'm fully confident that once, once football returns, if it returns, when it returns, um, I'll have the opportunity to play again, which is, which is great. Cause there's a lot of things I have not accomplished, especially with, you know, how things started in my career and where I was drafted and not, not always feeling like I've, I've lived up to, to even my own personal hype in my own head. Um, I know there's a lot of things I've left up in that field that I want to, I want to do a lot of touchdowns, hopefully to score and, and yards, yards to catch and all those sort of things. So when the time comes, I will be ready. I'm hundred percent certain of that. Uh, but until then there's, there's life to live and, and a world to change. So here we are. Right on. Well, Nate, yes, thanks for checking in tonight on, uh, on inside sports. Uh, enjoyed watching you as an Eskimo for a couple of years. I still remember that one catch right at the back of the end zone. Uh, <laughs> and, and th- thanks for the essay and your perspective. Very important to hear. Thank you guys so much for having me. I, re- I really do appreciate being able to speak on this. Right on. That is Nate Bahar. By the way, George Larac is going to join Chelsea and Shea in the morning at 8.05 after the 8 o'clock news. Mark Spector when we get back. relaunch on Friday. However, the city of Edmonton had this to say about recreational facilities. I'll read part of the press release. The city, by the way, declined to provide a guest tonight. Perhaps we'll get somebody later in the week. It is encouraging for the city and province to see we are in a place to advance to stage two reopenings. However, the city of Edmonton continues to review reopening plans against our current realities. This includes how we might introduce the reopenings of facilities like recreation centers, arenas, indoor pools, and libraries. And uh, they wrote a little bit more after that. They have an, a, a meeting on Thursday. The Emergency Advisory Committee will have a meeting on Thursday. So it may not be uh, like everything that can reopen doesn't mean it's going to reopen. And that appears to be the case for, for the time being for City of Edmonton recreational facilities. We'll know more after their meeting on Thursday. We do know that Connor McDavid, of all people, is the Oilers nominee for the Masterson Trophy for dedication, perseverance, and sportsmanship voted on by the Edmonton chapter of the Professional Hockey Writers Association, which includes this fine gentleman, Mark Spector. Mark, thanks for fitting us in tonight. How are you doing? Well, I just I just hope I can be as um, intelligent and well-spoken as your last guest, Reed. Holy cow, he was an impressive young man, that Nate Bahar, huh? Yeah, Nate Bahar, very well-spoken. I thought it was important to hear his uh, his his opinion for sure. It's a good essay. Give, give give it a read, and it might make you a little uncomfortable. But I think Nate, I think Nate's comfortable making people uncomfortable uh, on this topic. <laughs> uh, hey, yeah. Spec, you know, I I I only got an hour now, as you know, so I don't have a ton of time for you. Uh, the Masterson trophy often goes to an older player, but not this year, not with the Edmonton Oilers. Well, the nominee, I think was, oh, I know it was a, uh, unanimous choice among all the members, the seven members of the PHWA Edmonton chapter, 
we all vote, you know, independently, obviously. And every guy picked Connor McDavid in first as their first pick. So, you know, let's face it, he, he blew out his knee in game 82 last season and spent the whole summer rehabbing it. And there's a lot of doubt. We've all watched the documentary. There's a lot of doubt and a lot of question and a ton of hard work. And, you know, not only did he come back and play, but he came back and was the second leading scorer in the National Hockey League. So, you know, I, he's a, a some years, Reed. I've been doing this for a long time. Some years, you kind of pick a guy because you have to pick somebody. Uh, Connor McDavid this season is a very definition of a guy who has overcome adversity and come back strong, and and you know is fully in the spirit of the Bill Masterton Memorial Award. Have you submitted your votes for all the other awards? I have not. I have until I believe Tuesday or Wednesday. And uh, it's on my plate to do uh, later this week, but I have not done that, Reed. Dare I ask how you're weighing the Hart Trophy decision? Uh, I think that uh, that's an easy one for me. Drysaddle will get my first place vote. I haven't done my homework to tell you who's getting, you know, one to six. But uh, I know that, uh, in my opinion, he's been, he was the leading scorer by a long way uh, in the National Hockey League. He proved himself. Uh, he stepped out of his comfort zone, got off of McDavid's line, still was exceptionally productive. And when McDavid was hurt, he carried the orders on his shoulders. Uh, I don't think that will be a very close vote. Even around the league, I suspect that Leon Draisaitl will win the Hart Trophy. Would I certainly don't have a, a hard time with that particular award. Some of them are tough. Picking the Lady Bing, picking the Selkie, the Norris is a tough, or the, I should say the Calder. They're very tough one this year. But I think the Hart's an easy vote. Speck, i got to throw one more at you here in the last couple of minutes. You and I both have histories covering University of Alberta sports and obviously still still enjoy sometimes covering and certainly following a lot of those teams. Uh, you're the, the shock waves yesterday for that news that there's no fall season. Yeah, you just, I mean, the first thing you feel bad for is the kids. You know, there's, there's kids that are finishing school and, and – you know, they're not going to be around next year to play another year, right? Uh, you know, it's a short time in your life that you get to be part of any of those teams. And it, it, it's, I know, because I was around, I never played for them, but I covered a lot of U of A sports. I spent a lot of time around them. And they, those kids, they leave there with that Panda emblem and that Golden Bear emblem stamped right in their heart, man. It is a lifelong thing. And, you know, they, they work hard, they train hard, they earn a spot, they earn their chance, and it gets taken away this year. It's, you know, I feel for the folks who don't get to go to the games, like you and me, Reed, but we're second. To me, it's the athletes that are getting the bum deal here. Speck, we'll have to do this uh, when I got more time, but I, I wanted to get you on tonight for the <laughs> Masterson comment for sure. Thank you so much. Hope you had a good round of golf, man. I did for sure. Thanks for having me, Reed. That is Mark Spector from the Edmonton chapter of the Professional Hockey Writers Association. Okay, we're winding her down here. We're in the last minute of play, so to speak. Thanks to Speck. Thanks to Nate Bahar. Thanks to Ron Lowe. Uh, sorry, guys, I usually would read more of your text. I didn't have a lot of time tonight, but I do appreciate you listening and writing in. Dave Campbell's the producer of Inside Sports. Kellen Kennedy is your studio producer. I will talk to you tomorrow at 7. Take care. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.